0: For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Lawrence Gregory entitled, The First and Second Commandments. Mr. Gregory. Good afternoon, everyone. A few weeks ago, Steve had a sermon on keeping the commandments. And this was a good lead-in to today's message. After 40 years of Sabbath messages, uh, in recalling, I don't remember speaking specifically about the first and second commandment, even though I've touched on all of the commandments, uh, touched on them at different times and different messages. But uh, that's the title of the message today, the first and second commandments. And uh, I would like to open with a scripture in the New Testament, which will be opening and closing reference in 1 John. Let me back up a little bit here. 1 John, the fifth chapter, verse 21, says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's the opening verse today, and it'll be the closing verse. Now, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, let's go back to Exodus, the uh, 20th chapter. First, before that, let's stay in the New Testament to James, the second chapter. I want to go there. James 2, verse 10. Back up just a little bit to James 2, 10. It says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So, we can't choose and pick which one of the commandments that we like. Because if we break one, then we're going to break all of them. And uh, reverse, we can't say, well, I like this commandment, so therefore I'm going to keep this one. And then uh, we're uh, free to be a worshiper in all the commandments, even though we might not be keeping them. Because we know if we break one, we're guilty of all, because there's a relationship to all of them. Now, the first two commandments are the head or leading into the other commandments. And uh, the things that follow are related, and I'm going to only look at uh, the first two commandments. Let's go to Exodus, the 20th chapter. We're so familiar with this, Exodus, the 20th chapter. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, Then we know that these commandments later were written on two tables of stone. Were given by God to Moses. So they're codified. And here we have uh, in the remaining verses here of uh, part of this chapter, we have the Ten Commandments listed. The first is, you shall have no other gods before me. Very clear. We're not to have any other gods in place of or instead of God. He is to be the only God that we know and observe and worship. And the second commandment is related to that. You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy and thousands of them unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And we remember Steve talking about this, keeping the commandments, the significance of guarding and observing the commandments. But here, these two commandments are linked together. As the beginning of the other ten. And uh, we see here, just for example, this word uh, that is translated, uh, I am jealous. That word is also translated zealous. The same word applies both in Old Testament and New Testament. So, zealous or jealous, a a God that is concerned, that is really uh, looking out for and uh, is concerned about the worship that we give him is very important. And we're not to make any kind of uh, other graven image. And we know the Scriptures, there are a lot of Scriptures in the Bible that uh, show about the construction and the building of wood and stone and out of different uh, representations uh, God. And we're going to look at that here as uh, the first part of this message that we look at here in the uh, object of our worship. And we'll look at the manner of worship and then worship itself later. But the first is the object of our worship. Let's go back to the New Testament. And we want to look here in 1 Corinthians 8 chapter. 1 Corinthians 8. Beginning in verse 4. And concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, small g, small gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. So there's one God, and that one God we know consists of two beings, the Father and Jesus Christ, and only those two beings. Now they have a, they are spirit and they have a spirit, they have a mind, they have a power, they have a force. We've explained many times the pagan uh, doctrine of the Trinity, and we're not going to get into that today, but uh, we want to understand that there is one God who is the creator of all things. Now, let's go back to Jeremiah, the 10th chapter. We're so familiar with uh, that uh, scripture, we haven't uh, looked at it much this year, uh, especially about the only time we, most people look at it is around Christmas time when they see that uh, in reference to the Christmas tree or the decorations, they think. But uh, I want to read uh, from uh, the Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall you say unto them, the gods that are not, that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He, that's God, He has made the earth by the power. He has established the world by his wisdom, and has stretched out the heavens by his discretion. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightning with rain, and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. Every man is brutish in his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by the graven image, for his molten image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are vanity, and the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the former of all things. And Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name, showing the superiority of God over the idols. He is before, he is the former, before. He was in the beginning was only God. Then he began to create, create the angelic world. Then he began to create the physical world that we know. Then he began to create man. And he created the holy days. And and a lot of the scenarios that we can't go into now of uh, the uh, expression of God to his people. But he is not dumb like idols. You know, they can't move. They can't walk. There's many scriptures that explain this. They can't talk. They can't speak. They can't think. These idols. Now, we're not just limiting our thinking to little features, little statues that we create and we carry around in our pocket or people that look at uh, a little uh, representation of some object in heaven or in earth or under the earth or some creature that uh, people worship. We're not just limiting to that, so hear me out as we go through and as we progress through this. Let's go back to Psalm, the uh, 95th chapter, Psalm 95, 5. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. God, our Creator. God, our Maker. There are many references that show the inability of any idol to move or speak or talk or think or do anything for any one of us. But in Habakkuk, let's look at what uh, God says, says to us in the minor prophet Habakkuk. The second chapter, verse 18 through 20. What profits the graven image that the maker thereof hath given it, has graven it? The molten image. And a teacher of lies, that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone, Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But, contrasted to these no matter how beautiful or how ornate or how richly engraved or how uh, much covered with gold or silver or how beautiful it is, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And so there's a contrast here between the object of our worship as the true God that created everything, created us and everything, and these dumb idols that are created by man. How stupid is that? Uh, who, Who would think that they could create something and that be their God? But there are many nations, like the Bible says, many nations. In fact, the Bible even says that Israel has made more gods to itself than cities. And you look in the Bible about, we're not going to do that, but about all the names of all of those foreign pagan gods that Israel adopted to itself. Now, The second commandment is covered in the concern of our manner of worship. Notice in 1 Corinthians back in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians the 10th chapter, and verse 14. Here's instruction, very brief, very small, very short to us. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So we're instructed as Christians to flee from it, to get away from idolatry. And in Ezekiel, the 14th chapter, verse 1 through 8, Ezekiel 14, 1 through 8, Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me, and sat before me. I'm going to read off of the script there. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of all at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet. I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent, and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your face from all your abominations, for every one of the house of Israel, or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separated himself from me and setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me I the Lord will answer him by myself and I will set my face against that man and will make him a sign and a proverb and I will cut off from the midst of my people and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, an idol anything that separates our affection from God as we see here even in religion even we go in a particular religion to the leaders of that religion and say you know something to them about representing God to us if it's a pagan false religion set up in worship to God we are violating God's instruction to us because he tells us to flee from idolatry, to get away from it, to, be, uh, to have in our worship and in our praise and in our hearts and our thoughts only the reference to the one true God. God is to be the center of our thoughts. So let's consider now here a few scriptures concerning the worship of God, and this is an important uh, key uh, activity uh, in our relationship with God, and even in a person's relationship with idols, because we know the first thing—the relationship with idols—is condemned, is forbidden. God says, "Don't do it," but He encourages us to have a good worship and a good relationship with Him, and a true worship of Him. Now, in Second Chronicles, the thirty-third chapter. Let's go back there. 2 Chronicles 33. This is an interesting uh, incident in the life of uh, Manasseh, one of the uh, kings of Judah, and who was the worst of all the Jewish kings. Now, all of the kings of Israel were bad, but there were some good kings of Judah and some that were not as bad, but Manasseh was the worst, and he ruled and reigned about 55 years. And during the, part of the first part of his uh, rulership, when he came to the throne of that 55 years, was uh, very wicked. Now he ruled and reigned from 697 to 641 BC. And he was uh, later taken into captivity, uh, about halfway through his reign by the Assyrian king and taken to Babylon. And we'll see a little bit of that here in, uh, in uh, Second Chronicles, the 33rd chapter. I want to read here the first uh, 10 verses. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. But did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord has cast out before the children of Israel, For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. And he reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Also he built altars in the house of the Lord whereof the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house... And in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put down my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have approve, appointed for your fathers, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them, according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. That was God's ideal. If they obeyed him completely, he would protect them and they wouldn't be uh, going into captivity in the future. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. So look what Manasseh did, the evil that he did. Now he was 55 years ruling and reigning over Israel, but something happened about midway through his uh, rulership. The Lord spake to Manasseh and his people, but they they wouldn't hearken, they wouldn't listen. Wherefore the Lord brought upon the captains, upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns, and bound him with fetters, and carried him to Babylon. When he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Now after this, there's more uh, to what uh, Manasseh did and how God restored him and blessed him in the end time. But here here was one of the, the most wicked, evil man that ever lived. But he repented and God restored him and blessed him. And then he did good. He tore down all the things. He changed all of the evil that he had done He took that out and got rid of it. And he became, in the end, one of the uh, better, in the end of his life, a better king of uh, Judah. And then his son Ammon became wicked. And then Ammon's son, Josiah, became very good. And so sometimes a father would have a good son, and sometimes a good father would have a bad son. And so, uh, the the worst king in idolatry repented and changed and God blessed him and blessed the nation for a number of years during his uh, latter part of his reign. Now, let's go back to the New Testament because we're going to see who's behind a lot of this false worship and who is behind breaking of those commandments. And We want to go to Matthew, the fourth chapter. And... uh, We're familiar with this, uh, Matthew the 4th chapter, verse 8 through 10. This is called, this uh, occurrence that occurs during this time is uh, the temptation of Jesus by Satan the devil and how he put him through uh, different temptations. And notice here, beginning in uh, verse 8. Again, the devil takes him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said unto him, All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you worship. Then the devil leaves him, And behold, angels came and ministered unto him and encouraged him. So Jesus told the devil, get out of here. Worship God and him only. We've seen that. Worship God only, not the devil. Now, uh, you see uh, the influence of Satan over all of these nations and how he appealed, tried to tempt Jesus to... Well, Jesus already is a creator and he knew what was going to happen in the future and uh, his kingdom that was going to come and all the things and and we don't want to go into all of that. But the devil thought that he could tempt Jesus by all the glory of all of these physical things. But Jesus told him, get out of here, worship God only. Now, in uh, Matthew, the 14th chapter, um, we want to... uh, Go to verse 33, Matthew 14, 33. Then they were uh, were in a ship, came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, you are the Son of God. Now, this was, while Jesus was a physical being, The Son of God, without sin, allowed his disciples to worship him. Now, I know there are some leaders that like to have people kiss their toe, or kiss their hand, or their ring, or praise and extol them. But Jesus allowed this. He allowed them to worship him while he was a physical being. And then after his resurrection, look in uh, Matthew, the 28th chapter, verse 9. Matthew 28, verse 9. As they, and as they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them all, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So they worshipped him after his resurrection. They worshipped him before his resurrection. Now, we worship God and originally in the early centuries of this uh, time after Jesus' resurrection when the apostate church began to have its influence and art began to grow then they began to make representations of Jesus a long-haired, bearded many times like portrayed in some of the movies if you watch some of those dirty but Jesus wasn't like that. He wasn't portrayed as a Italian looking, long-haired, long-bearded, dirty man. He had short hair. He might have had a beard, but he was clean. Wouldn't he have been clean? He wouldn't have been dirty like they say in some of the, I see some of the commercials advertising some of these movies and they show him so dirty and filthy. I don't want to see that. But we know that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And Jesus wasn't an Italian, was he? He was from Judah. He was a Jew. Now some Jews are light, some are dark, some are freckle-faced. I know some Jews that are blonde-haired, white, you know, white as you and I, kind of freckle-faced, and they're Jews. And then there are some Jews that are very dark complexion. And there's reason for that out of Judah because there were different uh, children of uh, Judah. But we don't know what Jesus looked like, do we? Now, we know when we pray to the Father and Jesus, we have a glorified representation. We don't know what he looks like, so we don't use that picture. We don't use that statue when we pray to Jesus because he's glorified, we don't know what he looks like now as a glorified being, but we do know that there is a being there, a spirit being, radiant, glorified, we know the Father is radiant and glorified, and so we can pray and we can worship them and we can praise them and extol them without having in our mind a physical statue or a picture that is portrayed by an apostate uh, church and is a very uh, Relevant in the world today. Now, let's go, let's continue on with this uh, false worship here in Revelation, the 13th chapter. I've got a few uh, references here in Revelation that I want us to uh, just remind us uh, as we look at this. In Revelation, the 13th chapter, verse uh, 4 through 8, and this is the whole world, it says, and they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemed against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds of tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If any man has an ear, let him hear. Listen. We've got two ears, don't we? So we listen to this. The devil has conceived, cons- has conspired with the whole world to worship Him. He wants that. That's what he tried. He tried to get Jesus to worship Him. And he loves it when mankind worship Him, whether they do a representation to an idol or to Him. But anything that separates or diverts our worship from the true God into another representation... Or a lie is idolatry. And we can't do that. We have to stay faithful to God. Now, continuing on here in Revelation, the 20th chapter. Well, first, uh, Revelation 19. I have four references here in Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 19 through 20. I'm having to cut some of this uh, short here. So we'll just uh, read in Revelation 19, 19 and 20. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army, against Christ and his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worship his image these both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Now notice, the devil diverts the uh, worship and the praise and the adulation and, and the reverence toward this beast power. Satan is behind this beast power that we know later is going to rise up in Europe and is going to uh, do battle and put to death many, many righteous... You know, uh, it was said earlier that uh, it's hard to be a Christian in America, and it's getting harder, isn't it? And around this world, uh, antagonism to Christians is increasing, and death, and the devil is happy to see all of the opposition to Christ and to his name and to Christianity and the persecution and opposition that's occurring. Revelation, the 20th chapter, verse 4, while we're here. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So here's a great promise and a great uh, reward to those who resist worshiping the devil, worshiping the idols, worshiping the beast power. Those who separate themselves to God and only worship Him are going to be in the first resurrection, are going to serve Him, are going to be kings and priests with Him a thousand years and uh, for all eternity. And that's a promise that God has given His disciples uh, who worship him in truth, but those who worship the devil are going to be thrown in the lake of fire and cease to exist. In uh, Revelation the twenty-second chapter, verse nine, almost the last verse in the Bible here, in Revelation twenty-two verse nine. Then said he unto me, See you do it not, for I am your f- fellow servant. Now this was uh, an angel that uh, was uh, appearing to John the Baptist as he was writing up to to the Apostle John, pardon me, the Apostle John as he was writing the book of Revelation. And John fell down and was caught up in all the excitement, but the angel was telling him, don't worship me, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. Don't worship an idol, don't worship a representation, Don't take any other uh, idea, uh, any false worship that is uh, expressed through prayer, incense, sacrifices, bowing down, singing, speaking in the name of that false lying God. All of that is condemned in the Bible. Terrorism that uses a religion to foster its own beliefs supposedly to a God that is not the true God, is condemned by the Bible. And so we're told to worship God only. Now, a couple of things that I've written down as we consider here. Many, Many consider God as an austere, hard taskmaster. But he's not that. We need to realize that everything that God does for us in a loving manner is for man's ultimate good. The devil does things to uh, appear to God, to trick him, to, to man, to trick him, to get him to worship him. But God does it for our ultimate good. He has standards. He has demands that we follow. And... These Ten Commandments that are called in the Bible, actually, if you look in the Hebrew, the word is the Ten Words. These Ten Words or Ten Commandments are very important. They're succinct. They're clear. They're stated uh, very clear in His expectation for man. There's not a lot of confusion about them. There are uh, other uh, terms that we use uh, for idols like... uh, fairies, or uh, genies, or a deity, or, or uh, a lot of the biblical names that God has uh, established uh, in the scriptures that men follow and they worship and they set up gods, set up those idols as, as their God, but he condemns them. Now, as I said at the beginning, there are many, many scriptures we haven't even touched on today concerning all the Ten Commandments. For example, we continue to hear this exclamatory phrase, oh my God, how many times, oh I just groan when I hear that. Now that's a direct violation of the third commandment, don't take God's name in vain, but it's also a violation of the first and second commandments. so we can begin to see the relationship. How many of you heard that phrase, oh my God, oh my God? It's like, don't they know anything else to say? It is my God, oh my God. Uh, a violation of the third commandment directly but is related as I said to the other uh, two. Now, as Christians we don't worship idols. We don't have uh, stone representations, wood representations, uh, ceramic, persons, pictures, items of religious leaders, uh, prominent persons, programs like one of the prominent programs on TV that I don't watch, never watched it, but I've seen it advertised, is American Idol. And uh, when, uh, oh, a couple of days ago we were at Reach's grocery store and I was talking to one of the uh, older managers and he was there by the meat uh, department. And uh, I know this man is uh, from Brooklyn, but he's been in Oklahoma for 30-some years. And we were talking about the comparison between uh, New York and the United States and this other guy. One of the meat men said, he was from the Bronx. And there were a couple of young guys there uh, that were listening in to our conversation. And I said, oh, you probably remember the Bowery Boys. How many of us remember the Bowery Boys? Movies about the Bowery Boys. Okay, Uh, we watched that, but we didn't make heroes or or, uh, movie idols out of those. We had a lot of fun, uh, and those young guys, they didn't know who the Bowery Boys were. But some of us old fogies, we knew who the uh, the Bowery Boys were. And if you ever have a chance to see some of those old uh, black and white uh, movies, uh, you might want to uh, tune in and see some of those. But uh, the uh, modern day times, they make idols out of movie stars and uh, hero worship and... uh, Uh, representations of uh, individuals that they worship and extol not just to have you know a a good appreciation for them or what they've done now God is um, glorified today and we don't have when we pray or praise him or worship or sing to him We don't need an idol. We don't need a representation of a false Jesus, a false God. We can bow down. We can praise him. We can worship him. We can follow him. We can uh, obey him. Knowing that in the future we're going to see him as he is. We're going to be as he is. We'll see him as he is. But right now, we don't uh, know that. So, uh, in closing, uh, our first scripture at the beginning was, uh, little children, keep yourselves from idols and the last word is amen